Hi. I got a tape I want to play. Just what do you think you're doing, Dave? Your move, creep. Take me to the volcano! So why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Come with me if you want to live. This town needs an enema. Dr. Kid, I need a bacchiatomy. Yes, that's a human ear, all right. I got a bad feeling about this. So, it's come to this. It sure has. Welcome yeah. back. Hi. Welcome back. How Hello are you doing? There. I'm Charlie. I'm Eric. This is a podcast about movies. This is a long-running podcast at this point. At this point, it is. Yeah, we're almost at uh, the 50-episode mark here. This is exciting. This is getting real. So, yeah. I'm starting to think we're committed to a podcast about movies. <laughs> it seems like it. <laughs> uh, usually, we talk about maybe one movie at a time. Uh, but today we're doing things a little differently because yeah, this is a tribute episode. This is a tribute episode. We've done one of these before uh, with Sid Haig. Right. And it seemed like a lot of people liked that episode because we jumped around to several favorite Sid Haig performances and kind of did not a full career overview, but an overview from our favorite. Some of our of favorites. Him. Yeah, it was nice to kind of really be able to celebrate him as a figure on screen and as a person. Yeah. And we're going to do that again with uh, one of our favorite character actors, Brian Dennehy. Yeah. Who just we, passed away. We've gotten a couple of uh, big character actor and cool actor deaths recently that others that I keep saying, oh, well, now we got to talk about them. And I'm over. Mm-hmm. I'm overwhelming it because Stuart Whitman, classic Western and uh, another crime actor died. And Shirley Knight, uh, who I was talking about earlier, just died. These are people all in their 80s who had... 50-year film careers that right. hit some cool roles. But Dennehy, I'd say especially within our movie group, was like a big one. That that's a that's, that He feels like a specific within our movie group time frame favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that, I think all of us in the group really came to our peak Dennehy fandom <laughs> during the last five years. Right. Well, we found some cool movies that he he keeps showing up in. And yeah. So it's always we kept one of not those... seeking out Dennehy. He just kept delivering. Right. Every time he happened to show up. Exactly. Um. Yeah. So we're gonna bounce around with a couple of our favorite Dennehy performances. Brian Dennehy is is if you if if you can't picture him, just a big old dude. He he's is big. He's old. <laughs> he was always yeah, old. He, he, he was, was always, always big. Old. Well, that's. We were and, talking uh, about this earlier. Such a great character actor for that because just his uh, look. We we found out. I didn't really know this. Like I said, uh, to to dial it back to where we within the last few years, uh, we all were aware of this guy for basically the whole time we've been watching movies. Mm-hmm. He's in tons of stuff, and he's such a unique figure. He's a guy you recognize early on. You know, he has that charisma. So he's a guy we all knew and all had, I'm assuming, favorable opinions on him, but no strong opinions on him. And then suddenly he turns up in a couple movies that go over great. Uh, and we're like, suddenly he's on our radar again, mm-hmm. even though in real life he's like 60 something right. at this point, you know, but he has such a collection of stuff and we all found this sudden newfound appreciation and fandom for Brian Dennehy, a guy that we all knew, yet then suddenly all became a favorite. Mm-hmm. So I love when that happens. It's happened a couple times, but this was definitely a group favorite. Him and George Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah. We for like sure, large, sure. white haired 
round-bellied men. Oh yeah, uh, the guy in uh, Charles Charles Durning. Yeah, Durning. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes the stranger calls You're back. Right. Sure. And Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Oh yeah. We yeah. keep it. Wow, we hit a high percentage of movies with uh, AARP eligible fat white men. We love those old dudes. The white you know? hair just does it for us. But Denny, he is just such a, uh, he's just got such a great profile, such a great look. He can wear a mustache, a beard, clean shaven. He He, goes from cop to killer so easily. He can be everything in between. His turns are great. You know? He's such a small movement face turner. Yeah. It's so good. And his look reminds me of the more and more I watch him, and I'd say... Not, I'd say I the proof of our increased fandom of him over the last three or four years is all of us now have been going out of our ways separately to watch Brian Dennehy movies. Like, oh, I saw this Brian Dennehy movie. <laughs> like, we're all just on our own watching our own Dennehy searches. Well, because Dennehy was never a guy. I mean, he's a he's a serious actor. He was a he's a stage actor. Yeah. Film, Super accomplished stage film and actor. TV. We're going to be talking about his films in particular on this podcast, but yeah. he was always the guy in the movies, especially in the eighties, where he's not on the cover of the movie. Yeah, you know, or he's one of three people on the cover. Of Maybe movie, you know, you know, if that. But he's always the supporting guy, mm-hmm. especially I'm talking about those eighties and, and early nineties movies before he becomes kind of the TV movie king. Oh, in the nineties, TV 90s. movie legend. Um, but he was always the guy that. That would just make everything better around him. Every, oh, yeah. Everyone he acts with, I think, is better when they're acting with with him. He's definitely the guy that the water rises. Yeah. You he, know, he, he brings everything to this new level. He uh, some stuff that uh, we've talked about this before. Movies that we love, that just his presence and the way he reads a character classes up all the material mm-hmm. around him. He's never slum. He's never slummed it. No, he's never like delivered a a half good performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always a full, there's, brilliant performance. There's tons every of time. actors I love who I've seen deliver like not their best performances, oh, yeah. and that doesn't change how much I, mean, I love them. Top stars, yeah, too. yeah, exactly. So, uh, and yeah. I've never seen a. Di- there's something to say about the consistency of Brian Dennehy, mm-hmm. where he gives that same kind of quality in every. Role. It's a guy like, oh man, it's another, it's another old white guy with a belly. M. Emmett Walsh. Oh yeah, I've, man, that's like a Mount you know, Rushmore we've just put right? together. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Walsh, Kennedy, Dennehy, Durning, Durning, <laughs> little Durning in that's the corner. So maybe beautiful. I want that to be our logo. Oh, that'd be great. So we need to. We know artists, people. We know artists. I'm gonna, I'm gonna reach out. The, just to a oh, few people in particular. The character actor, that would old be so white man, good. Mount Rushmore. So it's come to this, like in a postcard look <sighs> font, and then the Rushmore of old white dudes. We're going to pause the episode really quick, guys, because we're brainstorming. This no. is too good. I <laughs> but I mean, so the perfect example. But I've never, yeah, M. Emmett Walsh, though, you know, yeah, yeah. he's in my absolute favorite stuff, like Blood Simple. And then he's turning in like a fun performance on Home Improvement. <laughs> you know, like, he's always at the same perfect taste of M. Emmett Walsh. Right. Doesn't matter how, if he's in one scene as man at bar. Like, he's turning in, and that's Dennehy. Guy worked a lot. He worked in small stuff. He worked in big stuff. He's turned up in commercials. You know, the guy was a gig actor. And he just loved to act, obviously, with how much theater he did. And everything he was in. Mm-hmm. Just because of him, that floor got raised 
higher. And I, I think Tommy Boy is the perfect example of that because he's in five minutes of the movie oh, as, yeah. as Tommy Boy's dad in this silly SNL <laughs> kind of based comedy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he gives the movie stakes. Mm-hmm. He, you know, his death forces Tommy to go on this road trip, but everything actually feels authentic. Yeah. And he's just so great and so memorable. Such a person that you want to you want more of oh yeah in those few scenes that he's in someone that even i as a 13 year old watching this movie for the first time like think of him and mm-hmm. remember him and i don't know it just it, that that it kind of encapsulates what was so great about him is that give him one page of dialogue give him give him 50 pages of dialogue he's going to give you that same memorable achievement yeah and i've i love he goes through a huge range of emotions because there's plenty of examples of him playing more of like a big teddy bear mm-hmm. kind of guy, but the examples of him as a menace are the most burning, threatening kinds of menace. This guy is super imposing. Uh, there's not a lot of guys with this frame and this look that mm-hmm. were acting this long. You know, he's at least six three, six four, and he's big dude. Got to be two ninety plus. Big guy, big barrel body, you know, kind of smaller legs, but like big, yeah. large, wide kind of line linebacker shoulders. Yeah, he played football in, in high school and college. Yeah. Uh, he was a Marine for yeah. five years, you know, so. This guy brings that kind of authenticity to a tough guy picture. This guy, when he played a detective, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> believe him as an imposing detective that could get answers. And... But had the range to also just, you know, play a, a regular guy. Sure. Which is tough for height-based character actors to do. You Absolutely, can, You don't yeah. really get to have a range. No, you nailed it, too. It, he could be a teddy bear. He could be a gentle giant. He could be fun-loving. But he could also be... I mean, he plays John Wayne Gacy in a, in a movie. Yeah. He can be a total psycho killer. But he's also can be just, like, kind of a dirty cop or kind of a... Uh, sinister person who's not necessarily psycho or anything but yeah. just intimidating a quality of his that i really love is we brought up his legendary tv movie career mm-hmm. briefly through the 90s this guy was the tv movie king it was insane i mean adding the, the run adding it was like a far cry from the the current level hallmark channel tv right. movie stuff this was like cable you know consciously made uh you know productive tv movies well he had a, he had a reoccurring uh jack reed character oh who sure. he made like five of these movies with that's basically jack ryan or or, or jack reacher or you know any yeah, of those yeah. kind of characters with a series and yeah but he could he could be the sheriff or he could be the, the criminal but yeah what and part of why he's so effective in these roles is that he's a lot of roles that can kind of uh change as the uh movie goes along he does a good heel to good guy transition and vice versa where he starts out as you're on his side and then his something changes mm-hmm. and he's really good at these kind of nuanced transitions from where you kind of catch up to the fact that you're not on his side anymore or that suddenly you're viewing him as the good guy he chose a lot of cool smart roles like that that showed off his small range uh his tight range mm-hmm. of emotions but a cool little gift that we get without intentionally getting this, I'm sure. Since he did a lot of TV movie acting, 
I love seeing an actor work menacing and tough within the framework of a made-for-TV movie. Uh, It feels like a tougher achievement to not be able to swear or use overt violence like you'd be able to in an R-rated movie. Right. Like, for him to play a John Wayne Gacy in a TV movie (laughs) without getting, you know, any of the crazy things that John Wayne Gacy did, you just have to be a scary guy. Yeah. There's no gore. There's nothing like that. It's a PG-13 movie. And it's such a tougher framework to be effective in than a guy who gets those little smoke and mirrors of hiding behind really scary makeup and really violent gore and crazy swearing like that can scare fragile people. <laughs> you know, to be able to barely say damn. Because this was TV movies when you couldn't get away with nearly as much right. as you can get away with on cable now. Like, it did not take much to get you PG-13 on cable. So... I love him working within that narrower, more difficult framework. It just got to show off how skilled he was. But uh, So we've both been watching some Dennehy movies recently, mm-hmm. as we would normally do. <laughs> what's, uh, what's one that has stood out and jumped out to you, or one that you revisited, or one that uh, you said, Tommy Boy, maybe I'll... Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess I watched one. I I, I really kind of dove into his TV movie career, uh, just because again, he ha- he was in so many so movies many. that have these. Is that a real name of a TV movie, or are we just doing a fun bit kind <laughs> exactly. of names? It's all stuff like the Heartland Murders <laughs> and a kill, and the one I watched, a killing in a small town. Mm-hmm. It's all that specifically 1990 true crime. TV drama, all those names. We we joked about all the complicated Giallo names. Right. There is a genre of t- 1990s TV movie true crime names. 100%. And he was in all of them. He's in the best ones. Deadly Matrimony. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Everything was like killing uh, it, Yeah, in a tiny western town or something. Everything was that. Yeah. yeah. He has a... He got a bunch of Emmy nominations for all these. He dominated the production. I remember one of the years he was nominated as like a a best actor in one of them and a best supporting actor in another. So he was like going up against in multiple categories for stuff just because he was just pumping these out and they were all high quality performances. But they all the ones he was even awarded for, it was all like uh, to catch a killer or mm. the burden of proof. Yeah. I think to catch a killer <laughs> is the John Wayne Gacy one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And he's, uh, he's the killer. <laughs> his big one, though, that he got Tony Awards for, he got a Golden Globe for, was Death of a Salesman, mm-hmm. which was like, you know, people were calling that the role he was born to play. Like, you take a long existing theater character, like Willie Loman, it's one of those things like conquering Shakespeare. Right. And you're like, oh, you figured out how to play Willie Loman. The best, you know, this iconic stage character. It's a character all the greats want to do. Yeah. Right? Dustin he, Hoffman has played him, or John Malkovich, or, or you know, people like that who consider themselves serious actors. Yeah. It's a, it's a big actor's role. And Dennehy kind of became the guy for a while that then became, oh, that's what the role is. That's it, yeah. Like, he defined the role, which is crazy. And uh, it's, it's amazing that he... He must have loved theater acting more than the movie acting, or else you think he could have gotten some pretty powerhouse movie performances with that rep. 
that don't really happen. Mainstream. I don't, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, Academy it, Award level stuff, you know? Right. But so the one that I love the most out of the TV movies that I sought out, and it's on YouTube right now. That's a problem with 90s TV movies. The rights are hell. Mm-hmm. So there's only like a strong few of the best ones that are actually on official Blu-rays. So you got to watch a lot of ripped from old 7th gen VHS YouTube <laughs> rips of these things. But it's worth it. Kind of captures that 1990 vibe. Totally. I like that. Yeah. We get the little, uh, we get the little like PG 14 or something in the corner, right? Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the recording. Yeah. So, so the, the two that I really, that really jumped out at me was, these are again going to sound, these are going to sound fake. Yeah. <laughs> there was a killing in a small town mm-hmm. and in broad daylight. Oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah, that's that perfect 1992 TV noir. In broad daylight. <laughs> that seems like that that sounds like that could be a theatrical release. Yeah, like, well, that's a good one. So Dennehy, you could tell they were TV movies, but he really made them feel like bigger budget mm-hmm. than they were. And I'm not sure where either of these originally aired, but uh, in broad daylight, I'd seen this documentary a while back called No One Saw a Thing. And it was about this small town in Missouri in the early 80s that had a town bully. And not just a guy who would kind of boss his way around and knew the right people. He was a giant asshole (laughs) who, if somebody he felt crossed him, he would either set fire to their car. He burned down houses. Oh, jeez. He stole livestock in the dead of night. (laughs) He just went around town constantly with a gun. Just a terrorist, And would basically. point it at anyone who he felt crossed him. This guy just bossed around a whole town. That's a guy that's just never been told to shut the fuck up yeah. right? his whole life. Yeah, somehow nobody has thought to just stand up to this dude. He's he. It's this real-life Robert De Niro in Cape Fear, mm. except he's doing it to a whole town. Like, this guy just dominated a town. He would just like that's great. He would just walk into the grocery store and take groceries, just like, oh, this guy just figured out like, you know what? I'm just gonna do whatever. Right. And this guy was huge. Uh, this it was like you talk about Willie Loman. Yeah, okay. real story. This guy named Ken McElroy. Oh, and great right, name. Big name. <laughs> and when they showed pictures of this guy, before I even knew that there was a, a filmed adaptation of this story. The pictures of the guy in the documentary just look like a Brian Dennehy character because nobody else has the same. This guy was big. Right. He was looked exactly like the shape of Brian Dennehy. It's like a broadness that you can't work out and achieve. Exactly. You're just born with this giant big, wide set of shoulder shoulders. framed dude. <laughs> this collarbone the size cinder block of a Tyrannosaurus. Head, yeah. You know? And that's what this guy looked like. Cinder blockhead, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the whole mo- the movie, uh, the documentary is about him finally, h- him operating just like Robert De Niro does in Cape Fear at that level of being a terrorist without doing anything provably punishable by law. You know, De Niro knew the exact line mm-hmm. for which to torture Nick Nolte from until he crossed it. But that's what this guy did. He knew the exact line. So he would just, you know, wait out somebody, outside somebody's house in the middle of, you know, at 2 a.m. in his truck blaring music just to constantly be a threat wow. to everyone. 
And uh, eventually he finally crosses the line, shoots somebody that actually will stand trial against him. And uh, he has a lawyer that keeps getting the trial pushed back for three years. Mm. And in that time, he's continuing all the harassment until the whole town gets together and murders him. 50 people get together, all shoot him, surround him, and kill him. And then all deny being there to the cops. So the whole town finally just decided to commit a group crime. So I had no idea Denny he did a movie until I was looking up more info on the story and found out Denny he played this dude in a wow. TV movie. And it is like the per it's like, I don't know Ken McElroy, but man, Denny he brings that worst threatening guy in town. It's ninety minutes of Denny he just walking into a bar and everybody just getting quiet. That's it. That's the whole movie. That's what he does the whole time. And it's awesome. Yeah, and it's so great. And, you know, they bring other class actors into the movie. Uh, Chris Cooper plays the sheriff who Hmm. can't really do anything, uh, even though, you know, he's put in the spot of, like, the town demanding leadership and him legally being unable to get this guy. And Cloris Leachman's in it as, you know, one of the shopkeepers who continually is harassed. So it's like, as, uh, and uh, Marsha Gay Harden plays Brian Dennehy's wife. Even the story of this man, this guy was going to go to jail in the 70s for statutory rape. Until he worked out a bargain with the girl's parents to marry her. So he wouldn't go to jail. That's what this, that's this dude. This guy's the worst. And then he's like, yeah, that's the role I was born to play. <laughs> that guy. He goes, yeah. I'm going to be that pay? man yeah. for two hours. And it was so, so it's just the whole movie of him quietly threatening people. And just like cleaning his gun next to somebody's head. You know, and just uh, following too close in his truck behind people. That's the whole movie. That's 90 minutes wow. of Dennehy just being... A made-for-TV violent asshole. Love it. It's insane. And uh, so, but it was also, it had that kind of like, this couldn't have had, this is the most violent TV trash possible. (laughs) So then the other one I watched showed him in a totally different way as an actual good guy lawyer trying to get to the heart of what really happened in a crime story. And that is killing in a small town. Hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, he's more of a supporting guy in that, whereas he is the entire movie of In Broad Daylight, which is also on YouTube, In Broad Daylight. But uh, the the dubbing sound was off, so the lips are about one second behind oh, throughout the whole movie. That's tough. It was that's a tough, tough one. Yeah. It was worth it for the role, because there is a lot of silent glowering, so the lips don't always <laughs> uh, come into play. But uh, worth checking out, I think. Mm-hmm. Adds, to the, adds to the vibe. But this is more of a Barbara Hershey story. And Dennehy comes in halfway through the movie in a really great lawyer role, which is a really uh, uh, hack, big actor role. Mm. You know, it feels like we got 30 James Stewart courthouse uh, right. filibustering lawyer movies. It's only so many ways. But Dennehy adds the twist in that he's not the menacing, violent guy. He's the nice, helpful guy except you know that there's menace there. <laughs> You're all constantly expecting it to turn with Dennehy, and that really adds to his small role as the lawyer. Barbara Hershey plays a woman who uh, 
a just a mousy mom in the midwest it's another heartland movie mm-hmm. it's all those 90 tv crime movies are either cocaine hollywood or heartland murders <laughs> so she's this just quiet unassuming plain midwest i think it's northern texas mom and one day her best friend is axe murdered to death holy shit yeah like 45 <laughs> times i did not see that coming murdered with an axe and uh, and it turns out to be this woman. And she has this repressed anger hmm. that they bring in hypnotherapists to bring out so she can actually tell what happened because then she claims it was self-defense. It's like, what kind of housewife fight ends with 45 axe wounds? You know, how? what kind of self-defense required 45 shots with an axe just first 20 i'll give you the first 20 but 45 that's that's a much and so it's one of those true crime ones this gets like tv movie gory because they can't show anything so you just have an eating coroner just like (laughs) never seen axe wounds like this (laughs) her face well what was left of her face (laughs) sandwich bite (laughs) (laughs) You'd have That's to. awesome. Yeah. And so <laughs> the movie gets all that kind of stuff dead right. And Barbara Hershey's just this small woman in a bad hair circle wig. It's also oh. set in like 79 to 82. So they're like, we have to plane up Barbara Hershey. <laughs> you know, 40-year-old Barbara Hershey, still beautiful. So they put her in that, yeah, bad like little orphan Annie mousy brown hair circle wig with like those big square framed oh, yeah. glasses and bad polyester uh, baggy dress kind of stuff so she's perfect 1980 mom and and then then halfway through the movie she gets a makeover and it's like whoa she's been hot the whole time yeah it's a weird (laughs) twist on the like true crime midwest noir with like a then he takes her to the prom yeah with like Yeah. (laughs) yeah really odd odd punch at the end but you know those dennehy movies can turn on a dime uh no and so uh you get some strong like side performances and the way the movie is structured is so classily done that it takes you through this uh just a great change of emotions as the movie lays out that this story is impossible to like you find out you know this woman's not perfect and she had an affair at one point with Mm. the husband of the woman who was murdered and the way the story unfolds and in how it reveals what it reveals and how it unfolds the story is so strong, uh, movie theater quality. And by the time you get to the end, I had that moment in Us when we saw Us a year ago, our first episode Man. ever. Only a year ago. I, I had that moment towards the end of Us where we've heard the whole time about like where we didn't know where this girl was for 15 minutes and what could have happened in those 15 minutes. And somehow it got to the end of the movie and inside my head I said, oh, shit, we're going to get the 15 minutes. (laughs) Like, of course we're going to get the 15 minutes. They were going to tell us the whole time. But when it started happening, I was like, oh, guys, we're seeing seeing the missing 15. (laughs) And the movie did that same thing because it gets you to the very end of this movie and you get the 15-minute played-out scene of what happened Mm. inside that house Mm -hmm. and what led to 45 axe wounds. And it's like it started, I was like, oh, we're getting the 15. <laughs> it's That's so awesome. good. It's It was a, a super acclaimed Barbara Hershey performance. Like it won the Emmy that year, won Golden Globe. And Dennehy did not have as much, but 
he's really the emotional turn in the movie. Because this woman, she plays it so repressed and she's so quiet. And Danny, he's the one's like, you need to have, you know, you need to tell your story. You need to sell emotion up there. You know, you need right. something. You're looking like a zombie. And so you get a lot of these great Dennehy talking to rural jurors <laughs> kind of scenes where he's doing the like, now, folks, here, I know some of this doesn't look good. Right. And he's like leaning his hands down onto the <laughs> juror box. Look, I'm going to be the first to admit that this looks bad. But if you look at it from, you know, and so he's, but he's Dennehy. So when you're, when he's that sized, leaning over the juror box, you know, he's this like. Just think he's going to topple over. Yeah. Well, he looks like he's talking like this nice, friendly lawyer, but then he's also still has that size menace, Mm -hmm. but he's also leaning over closer than a guy that big usually leans over a person. And so it's this great fusion of his, uh, of all his kinds. And the way he gets her to finally break down and tell the court what happened is like this really powerful acting between two humans. Mm. And it struck me how neat that is that it's a scene that probably had 60 extras because it was a big packed courthouse scene. And, you know, there's a popular trial and everybody was there. And but it's this private little moment between him and Barbara Hershey filmed in front. And so it just feels like, oh, man, there's just these two actors hmm. that are hashing out in front of this big crowd of actors. I don't know. It's kind of cool touch that you notice about this kind of movie with those two kind of strong performances. So these movies are all on YouTube. And he got he was in so many acclaimed ones. He's a great guy to just do a deep dive into. You've watched, what, First Blood? and cocoon sure, and sure. stuff oh, like yeah. that i know you're, uh, you're, you're, you're going in on like uh this great acting moment i was gonna be like <laughs> yeah. well i saw cocoon <laughs> let me tell you uh no, yeah i guess yeah. i'll talk about cocoon <laughs> yeah I, I i don't know how i'm gonna follow all that really thought, eric, eric just did a tight 35 on two movies well, he just, really loved but and now i got a thoughtful at a you know a description <laughs> and, and, and analysis of these two uh made for tv movies and i'm gonna be like yeah, he's pretty cool in First Blood, too. <laughs> uh, so back to Tommy Boy. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Um, oh, one little detail. This is a fun, I think this will, if I haven't sold you yet on Killing in a Small Town, I was like, this is really well written for this genre of movie. And I saw that it was based on a book. I looked up who wrote the book, John Brown. Okay, and I looked into John Brown, Joe Bob Briggs. Whoa. Under his real name, John Brown wrote some true crime novel like in like the 80s. I did not know that. Yeah. That's awesome. John Brown. So it's like, that's, I was like, who's the, that sounds like a, the plainest name possible for a guy. How do I even Google John Brown? Yeah. Dozens of, no, Joe Bob, he wrote a, he wrote a true crime novel in the early '80s that eventually was adapted into a Dennehy. That TV sounds movie. about right. That's a that's a nice connection right there. I like that. I know Very you're nice. a Joe Bob guy. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I uh, <laughs> I do like Brian Dennehy in Cocoon. <laughs> He's good. Uh, it's not a good movie, but <laughs> Cocoon he brings, is definitely that's such a he brings a little sum to it. It's that, such that's a such a uh, relic. It's funny because it's like uh, talking about these TV movies that should have been theatrical releases. 
Cocoon feels like a theatrical movie <laughs> yeah. that probably should have just been a TV but movie. But like a super... It's one of those... Like super, a high-budget TV movie. It's It has the distinction of being one of those movies that's super popular upon release that at a certain point society agrees to just like we don't need to remind ourselves right. we all loved cocoon exactly like it's not People like loved it, it it's not like it was for bad reasons like turns out cocoon's super racist guys <laughs> but it's more just like hmm cocoon didn't hold up past that one month of 1985 it's got some problems it's got some problems i think it was probably it's a it it's was a, beloved because it was all those old people, you know. Old it's, people having a good time. Whereas, bring out the senior citizen crowd in yeah. the 80s to go see the movie about them. Sure. Uh, living their old senior citizen lives. You got to uh, come out with the most exotic marigold hotel. Exactly. You got to hit that audience. You Give do. them a bone occasionally. And sometimes they want to see an alien movie, a, a, a sci-fi. Yeah, those people weren't getting enough uh, sci-fi in their old people dancing movies. Yeah. But it was basically like, what if uh, we did Close Encounters, but at a retirement home? Yeah. And we have Ron Howard direct it, so everything's a little bit too, like, wishy-washy. Schmaltzy. Schmaltzy. No- I hate that. Nothing. No, there's never any, like, consequence for anything. Ron Howard has, he is essentially a TV movie director that gets to direct, like, $80 million movies. Yeah. He has the same kind of sentiments. And the ca- the same kind of presentation of human relationships that belong in like a lifetime nineteen ninety three movie. Yeah, he just gets a huge budget to do it. I don't like his specific. Schmaltz. I like some. I like some Ron Howard, but uh, this one. Uh, the basic plot is that aliens come down. They uh, live forever. To do so, they have to recharge their batteries in these cocoons. Okay. Uh, they were on. I've Earth. never seen Cocoon. Yeah, yeah. For the record. That's you're why I'm, that's our, why I'm giving you're you this, our first line Cocoon. That's why I'm response. giving you this. I just of, dumped on a movie so hard. The plot really, but seen. the plot is like way too complicated for this movie. So it's like <laughs> they come down, they have to regenerate their the fellows. So they used to live on Earth. Okay. Nice little throwaway line, and Dennehy plays the leader of this alien group. Oh, Dennehy's the alien. Yeah, Dennehy's an alien. So I would have guessed he would have been. Um, the head guy at the retirement home. Not a patient, but like right, the right. uh some high level ranking job. Right, the manager of the, yeah. of the group home or whatever. So he's no. the alien leader. So he approaches Steve Gutenberg. Are these aliens just looking like people? They're just looking like people, but they those are people suits that they're oh, wearing. Okay. And there's a whole thing where uh Steve Gutenberg sees the one alien lady peel her suit off, and they're basically oh these... Gutenberg's in it. Oh Gutenberg. Gutenberg's our youth connection. It's right in the eighties. Yeah. Wow. Uh, hot, right off the hot trails of probably one of the police academies. Oh I don't yeah. Know. So this is this is some on the prime swing Gutenberg. Prime Gutenberg. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mostly shirtless. Okay. He's he's this down and out boat captain. What? And, sounds like uh, a good Gutenberg role. It's a good down and out good, boat captain. Sounds <laughs> that's a cool role. He's got kind of this fast talking. You know, he's, he, the the aliens use his boat to uh, do their business. So he's okay. like, he's the guy who's like can't pay rent, and then they come to him and they're like, "Can we rent your boat for three months?" And he gets that like, "Yeah, you can rent my boat. I'm getting steak." You know that kind of <laughs> <laughs> Gutenberg dancing like, around. This feels like such a not even just made for TV movie. So far, it sounds like a Sunday night. Like Disney movie, oh, when they did like Wonderful World of Disney. That sounds like that level that. of like, like I'm expecting when he's dancing that they use like I feel good, <laughs> like it's such a pretty much, pretty much. I have a question. 
You mentioned that Gutenberg witnesses a hot alien so the, removing so, her skin suit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's how he goes like, Ooh. He's like, oh, I'm Guten. <laughs> <laughs> Do we get, and this is my now, if this exists, the only piece of movie memorabilia I want to own, <laughs> and I want to get a glass case for this. Did a props team have to make a discarded Brian Dennehy skin suit? Like a suit that would have to be like, we need a loose, floppy, zippered skin Brian Dennehy I don't think he ever goes, uh, takes off the suit. No. They do have the the scene where you can see them all throw the suits, the skin suits into like a trunk or whatever. But these are basically these beans like made of pure light. Okay. And, so like uh, a close encounters glowing. Yeah. Being. So so as soon as they take the skin suit off, you know you can see the light kind of peeking through. And then so he at one point has a thing where he kind of lowers the eyelid to reveal some light underneath. See, that's that's risky. To what do they use for the eye holes on the skin suit to not let the light out? I you think a, a he, complicated uh, alien a, that's technology. A, yeah, because yeah. you think if they open their mouth to eat and they're shooting like a flashlight bulb yeah. out their mouth. But it's great. They've real come, distracting. They've come light years. Yeah. To to <laughs> rescue these people, and they got to hire a guy in a boat. Yeah. To like get them the well, next twenty feet. You know, down you get there. to a new country, you don't necessarily know the right people to talk to. Yeah. Your whole sense of uh, hierarchy is thrown off. You don't know the way the locals uh, perceive things. So they they hire the boat. They pull up these egg pods. Mm-hmm. That um, fun fact, Denny mentions. Uh, yeah, we we were gonna settle in the North Pole, but then we settled in Atlantis. Never thought about sinking. <laughs> what? And then no one brings it up ever later in the movie. No human who heard that was like, "Are you saying there was an Atlantis? Are you saying that was real?" That's no such, one questions it. That's such a like people nonplussed by the aliens already. It's just, like the people don't care that there's now proof of an Atlantis. Yeah. And then then he like sees their non-reaction. He's also like So we're like the first aliens you've seen, <laughs> right? Because you guys are handling this very well. Well, I almost wanted him to be like Atlantis, anyone? No, Atlantis? nothing for Atlantis. No? All right. Okay. Okay. Well, anyways, so we came down <laughs> so here. So these aliens also have the bad luck. It's just like the, the sign. Movies, I'm realizing, portray aliens as doing like 98% of the job, yeah. traveling light years, and then just fumbling right at the goal line. Exactly. It's like the signs aliens that can't touch water, and they're like, well, this planet's mostly water. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> right. So many non-water the, planets. Flight of the Navigator is like, yeah, I crashed. Yeah. <laughs> so now I'm pretty much on my ass. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, I ate it. Yeah. So it's weird that they're just like, well, we made it all this way. Oh gosh, we didn't anticipate this. Well, so they have a spaceship, and they have to take these cocoon pods and put them into some life force type water. That's why the retirement mm. community comes into play because they have to they. They basically rent their like pool house, okay. And then they put these eggs in the pool, oh, and there's life force in the pool. Mm-hmm. So oh, I remember on old yeah. wrestling VHS that had the commercials. Still, I remember the commercials. A lot of pool based stuff. Most of the movies based in yeah. the pool. Yeah, a lot of lot of night, lot of nighttime swimming pool. So what happens is the yeah. the three old guys break in, even though they're not supposed to. They swim in the water, and then they feel great because they're getting some of the life force. Oh, so and the old guys are young. like Wilford Brimley, Don Amici, and... Uh, and a third guy. Some other old, old guy. A super old dude. Okay. And uh, so that's the that's the movie. 
He's old. It's a Fountain of Youth thing. It's a Fountain of Youth thing. Which is like a Spielberg story that he uses so much and hasn't gotten it interesting. Yeah. It's, you can tell it's like his favorite story. And it's like the worst story he has in his canon. It's just, the, I just, the old people don't come off very well uh, in this no. movie. Okay. Um, so, Danny, he, basically, the, the, the thing that I don't really get with this movie is that <laughs> they don't have a pool on the spaceship. They have to bar, They have to rent a pool. Okay, we couldn't build a pool on the spaceship. No, couldn't get water in a solitary pond. We only brought just enough of the life force to fill the pool once. <laughs> And hoping that's going to take care of it. So what happens is all the old people eventually find out, and they all go swimming, and they basically deplete the life force from this pool. (laughs) And two of the aliens die (laughs) in an egg. These monsters that are wanting to live even longer than they've already lived into their 80s. They just (laughs) want to rob some... Their Their selfishness has It's really an appropriate modern allegory. Yeah. The old privileged white people wanting to feast off the uh, the poor here. Jeez, and uh, cocoons tackling hard issues. But then they know. But then nothing bad happens. Basically, Dennehy's like, "Well, we have to leave tomorrow. We don't have time to you know get these eggs anywhere." So they're like, "Well, we'll help you put the eggs back in the ocean, and you mm-hmm. can come get them again later." Thanks, old people. Appreciate that. You Look. screwed us over on this plot. <laughs> yeah. Your plan is to help us put them back in the ocean where they were before we even got here, <laughs> making this entire mission null and void. So this was just a fail. When these aliens Total look fail. back on the cocoon mission in a hundred years, it's going to be like, well, 1985s didn't go great. That didn't go great. Whereas on here, okay. yeah. Ron Howard's like, that's the one. That's the <laughs> mission we got to capture. But Their that- total throwaway year. Now, but then, what do you think Dennehy does to the old people as as a consequence for, for him for them basically fucking up this mission? I mean, you would think that this is when the movie would take a sudden turn into divine vengeance. Yeah, and we'll take your ali- life for us. And right? the, the good twist being that these benevolent aliens now said, well, we didn't want to have to do this. Exactly. But, and that's when it becomes a dark alien movie. That would be cool. That is okay. not what happens. Did not happen in Cocoon. What happens is then he's like, thanks for helping us put these back in the ocean. Guess what? Now we have 20 spaces available on the ship. Do you all want to go to space with us and become part of this basically unending life span of, of exploration? And we'll put you to work exploring galaxies. Yeah. Like He gives them this whole spiel about leading productive lives. And uh, they take him up on it. And they lie to their families, and, huh. and then they the old, leave. The old, Twenty different old people have to come up with excuses. They, they all, all have to essentially fake their own deaths. Yeah. So their family stops asking questions. They all get out on Gutenberg's boat, and it's there's a great like scene at the end where it's kind of like all those '80s movies, like ET, where like the government is like. The police force is trying oh, wow. to stop them, and they have to like. I didn't. Get I didn't out even think thing. of the involvement of authorities. There's a there's a little bit of authority involvement, just okay. in like why are all these old people going on a boat in the middle middle of the night? Sure. And uh, yeah, I the, remember a lot of night water. A lot of night water. The, uh, lot from of the night trailer. Swimming. Yeah. That I. Yeah. And then uh, yeah, they suck them up, take off. All the families think they've died in a horrible boating accident. <laughs> <laughs> We went, we went on a senior tour and the bus crashed. All of us are dead. So all these people who have basically been nothing but selfish and yeah. um, 
not listening to any kind of authority or not playing by any rule that they've agreed to. Then the aliens are like, you should join us and like we will uh, work with you for the rest of eternity. Yeah, have you ever gone to an event and been unwillingly cosmically partnered with a person <laughs> that you don't want to be partnered with? Like some like you're going to a, a, a party where you don't know other people and there's a certain person who kind of keeps glomming to you. Yeah. And it's just like Oh, man, I don't want to. I keep going to the other room, and then this guy keeps ending up in the same circle of people that I'm at, telling his awful story. <laughs> wow, we'll put you to work. This movie, you'll sound- go exploring other planets and other civilizations. You old people who I think earlier in the movie are like making like a oh look at those young whippersnapper comments about you know people in uh, funny haircuts. It's like oh, so gosh. the people who are. Not going to deal well with funny haircuts. They're going to be the ones that make first contact. So this is the worst version of Star Trek 4. It sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's what this sounds like. Denny's great in it, though. He's great. (laughs) The worst parts of Star Trek 4 magnified in the worst way with the most greedy white old people. Yeah. This sounds terrible. This sounds like the same kind of hate I would have for a movie that I have for a Dead Poets Society. It'd be like if uh, Shatner goes back in time to save the two humpback whales. The lady he works with shoots the two humpback whales <laughs> in the head. <laughs> and then Shatner's like, you should come with us. Yeah, she, he still tries to get her back on the Enterprise. <laughs> Barring that, I would like... Oh, God. Yeah, this movie well, this sounds... this is a fail. This yeah. sounds like a real clunker. It's bizarre. And, and it is an Oscar-winning movie. Beloved movie that I did not find again, much to love. But again, except one for of Brian those... Dennehy. But every scene he's in, it's great. You know, he's... he's. I didn't know he played an alien. Yeah. Because yeah. his genre work, not full. If you're, if you're thinking of genre as horror, mm-hmm. sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of roles in that. A lot of tense dramas. And a lot of stuff that's kind of trashy enough to kind of be a genre movie. But more of the action side of the genre, yeah. not horror sci-fi. So I didn't know Cocoon was as strictly sci-fi as that, but it sounds like a real... Oh, it won two Oscars. Mm. Had so Don Amici won a Best Supporting Actor. Was it just because he was like fun grandpa? Hmm. He won the he won the he's, Oscar. I, for this. That's funny that he won a supporting actor though. Is he more of a major? Because he's like character? the main old dude, like of the three old dudes, him and uh, Wilford and the other guy. I wonder if huh. they just submitted him because they knew he wouldn't be able to do lead. That's that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I don't know. The lead stuff that year was like didn't seem like that strong of a year. It was like John Voight and Runaway Train, and I, I uh, wouldn't even know. Yeah. So, but yeah, they do that kind of thing where, wait, why is that? Even in, uh, what, The Favorite a couple years ago, which Emma, Emma Stone is the favorite. Mm. She's the clear star of the movie, but she got Best Supporting Actress it happens. nomination. So yeah. it's weird. It happens from time um, to time. But, wow. So Donna Michi is, side note, is one of my favorite Simpsons edits. Mm. Because uh, remember the brief shot of Homer's Oscar? Remember Homer's Academy Award that then it cuts to the Academy Award and it's clear he just pawned one or stole one? <laughs> and it's like the name Dr. Hang S. Engor crossed off with a knife and then Homer written above it and like scrawled into the Oscar. 
hang it for the killing fields. Yeah, yeah. The- <laughs> That's great. So the- I always thought the implication was that, like, oh, this guy is one of the weirdest on-paper Oscar winners ever. Like, he probably just sold his Oscar, and Homer somehow came into possession of it. But then Hang-Ass Angor died in a mugging. The actual man. Jesus. And then they're like, Matt Groening's like, oh no, future generations are going to think we implied Homer murdered (laughs) Dr. Hang-Ass Angor. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) Right. We can't keep that name on there. We don't want to be implying that joke. (laughs) So they changed it in all re-airings to Don Amici. Holy cow. (laughs) So Homer Homer now has forever Don Amici's. Specifically Cocoon. Yeah, for Cocoon. (laughs) No longer. I don't know. I'm sure it exists on, you know, maybe the DVDs. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was already out there. But yeah, Don Amici on the TV broadcast. That's beautiful. (laughs) Nice piece of trivia there. So I, um, I actually, this is stupid because it was the main movie in all of the Brian Dennehy has passed away articles. Uh, it was either Tommy Boy, Cocoon, or, uh, or Tommy Boy First Blood is what I'm talking about. Or yeah. Ratatouille. Playing, uh, right. he playing did a voice a, on the rat's dad. <laughs> he is the dad of Ratatouille. It's good rat dad. Good rat dad. Quality rat dad. Nope. So, so he even got into the Disney market late yeah. late career. He was know, working he was all the 70s. way up. He was working all the way up. Uh, he was in The Blacklist was a show I quite enjoyed. Oh, yeah. And, and uh, I saw, I told you about that other show, Happen Leonard. Which is a cool, oh. uh, it was on Sundance, had Michael Kenneth Williams and, uh, oh, I'm forgetting her name now, Joan from Mad Men. Uh, she's in Christina Hendricks. Christina Hendricks, yeah. thank you. Um, and so he plays like a sheriff in oh, one cool. season. And it's cool, uh, Beard Dennehy. Ooh, yeah. We've talked about Beard Dennehy before. It's a rare sighting, but it's worth it. It's so good. It. Beard Dennehy's so high end. Who he reminds me most of. As like a just more hulking version of is another favorite actor of mine, Nick Nolte. Mm-hmm. I love Nick Nolte, and Nick Nolte is a, a big guy. You know, he also looks like a football player. He also has broad, shul- broad shoulders, Definitely. but he's more of a lean muscle guy. He's not as, but he's still big. He's, he's bigger big than an average Hollywood actor. He can big it up. And there's a a certain imposing nature he can have. You know. And Dennehy feels like an even more hulking Nick Nolte to me. They're facially do a lot of similar things as an actor Mm -hmm. that I really like from both of them. But Brian Dennehy has every one of his features that's a plus for Nick Nolte. It's more menacing and tough with the way Brian Dennehy wears it. So it's just a twist on one of my favorite actors begetting another of my favorite actors. I get that. Yeah. No, Dennehy's just got the best like smirk sneer he's you know he he can do the kind of the eye squint if he's not trusting you yeah he's, he's a great bullshit artist on screen. <laughs> he calls bullshit well, very I, well i always thought i had this vision of him as being like a classic chicago guy because mm-hmm. he just looks like other large chicago men but then i found out he was like connecticut born in connecticut died yeah. in connecticut but spent a lot of time in chicago uh for a specific theater production company for like 20 years, he was doing different plays for this yeah. theater. He was a very serious actor. Um, did yeah. stuff like like uh, Eugene O'Neill plays and yeah. Arthur Miller stuff. Uh, I don't and Shakespeare. I did, 
Yeah, I didn't know that side of him as mm-hmm. an actor until just a few years ago. This guy was kind of hiding in plain sight by being such a prevalent actor. You know, since he did stuff on all the full spectrum of availability, right. <laughs> stuff that you could only see if you were happened to be in Maryland for two weeks. Well, I was or... going to say, if, if we lived in New York or Chicago, I'm sure it would be a... we our radars would be differently tuned for totally. that kind of live theater stuff. Yeah, so that was not on my radar until just a few years ago. But yeah, First Blood, I haven't seen that in over a decade. It's like, oh, this gives me a perfect opportunity to go back and watch He's great. First Blood. That's a great example of him making everyone else better. Like Stallone, I think, is actually very good. It's in, one of Stallone's best first, acting movies. In that first I, movie. I love First Blood. Yeah, and it's that's that series is just crazy because it's such a, that first movie is just so like, Anti, right? Anti cop, well, anti authority, anti war, uh, anti establishment of every kind. Like, yeah, anti. It's actually like very much like an anti violence. Like he doesn't want to. Stallone hurt is you. Stallone is a is <laughs> a like, like a pacifist everyman yeah. who's being hassled by cops in Oregon, unwanted and unremembered after yeah. serving. It is like a strong anti war, anti enforcement right movie. And then that whole series just gets turned into like <laughs> pro war, pro death. Yeah, crazy. It's just weird how they until did that. the insane last one. From last year, mm. where he's where it's like the one, it's like the goriest movie I've that seen. That one's kind of back to years. the booby trap kind yeah. of uh, origins of big of, time. You see a lot of. I was like, man, there's a lot of booby traps in First yeah. Blood. The, the whole last twenty minutes of the movie was thirty different times me in the theater going, oh, <laughs> it's just people getting spiked and gored to death and disemboweled for like. 20 minutes of this movie. But then, like, they get their head cut off, and he still shoots them, like, after the head comes off. It was just Rambo's, like, I've been setting up this game of mousetrap for 30 years, yeah, and now is when it's paying off. And so, but you watch the first one, and it is, like, class drama. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's above, it's, it's at the level of drama that I put things like, you know, even Rolling Thunder different kind of movie but that same kind of post-war forgotten vibe right you know or southern comfort you know it's on that level of cool war statement movies and it's it's interesting too because dennehy being the the cop who kind of escalates everything and starts this whole kind of fight he's not just this one-dimensional asshole cop Mm -hmm. you know he actually is someone who you think somewhere down there is actually thinking of the good of this small town that he doesn't want he doesn't want trouble, but he causes the trouble. It's this yeah. dual, It's this duality that he kind of. Well, we we no talked one else about, I don't think could really have pulled that off as well. We talked about him having the ability to take the familiar and make it his own personal thing. Mm-hmm. I bet mentally, when people think of that image of the cop being like, "We don't want you in the town, John." Right. <laughs> you know, like, it's too easy to picture Dennehy as the guy slowly pulling up in his state-issued car mm-hmm. to be, like, you know, catching a guy on a bridge. Like, here's the line, partner. It's too easy to just picture Dennehy as that guy. And I think he made that kind of character into that guy. Right. It's the perfect take on the, it's the Northwest version of the uh, 70s movie Sheriff. That hates Burt Reynolds. Totally. <laughs> it's different and done that in a more serious, 
evil tone. Right. He doesn't play him as a hick. Mm-mm. He doesn't play him as like a gun-toting kind of some some bitch just wanting to start a fight. Yeah, he doesn't play it. Too he, many times those kind of roles uh, are played by guys playing like a Western sheriff. Right. You know, or it playing it drunk or something like uh-huh. that. Yeah. So I don't know. He's just, yeah, rewatching it was like, this movie, like, I kind of teared up at the end when Rambo kind of has his breakdown. Sure. It's like, is Stallone making me cry right <laughs> yeah. now? Yeah. It's but a, the whole movie has been building emotionally. Big and it's, time. And it's a uh, fucking good movie, man. Yeah. Good fucking movie. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, uh, the guy has such a cool range. He's just, I don't know. We, we do have a special treat planned. Because this right. is a two-part episode. That's right. This was more of uh, us just talking about some favorite moments. Well, we skipped talking about two movies that are right at the top of our Dennehy favorites list. And so we're going to do a whole episode just focusing on those two movies. And those are... They are FX. Mm-hmm. It means special effects. It means special effects. <laughs> and the best movie with this name gladiator <laughs> i was gonna say gladiator <laughs> not you know the not the, eh, one you gladiator. Just of, not the one you just thought of when the you good said gladiator gladiator. Yeah. gladiator is the movie that i would say brought us all to the dennehy light that was the performance in a movie that could have stunk and his performance is so great mm-hmm. in my opinion genuinely oscar worthy in a movie that otherwise would not have gotten positive reviews at all, I'm sure. As this m- cruel boxing promoter. Mm-hmm. Oh, it put Dennehy on such a pedestal <laughs> with all of us that uh, we have to talk about it. It's such an un- underspoken movie. Mm-hmm. Needs representation. Absolutely. We're here for the gladiator representation and FX. FX is just a stone cold thriller. Oh. And he's he's one of the great uh beleaguered cops in, in all of cinema in this totally. movie. And uh yeah, so it's the best of the best, the worst of the or the best of the worst. Yeah. He's uh in full range in these two movies. So we're gonna give those a little extra special. FX attention. is that the eighties was the best genre for taking a genre that usually had garbage strung throughout it and making the best version of that trash <laughs> a lot of cool movies like that in the that 85 86 stuff like 52 pickup and fx is something that ages so cool and if they tried to do a movie like that now it'd be too sleek couldn't do it you know couldn't capture the same tone and denny he adds to that tone it's such a unique movie two very different kind of movies but both movies that we've watched on our big movie days, and both movies went over huge. So those feel those felt like oh, that's that's Dennehy to me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, thank you for listening. We will thank be back more next week with Dennehy. more Dennehy. Yeah. Uh, I'm Charlie. I'm Eric. It has come to this. Thank you. 